thank you for tuning in to the Voice of the Victim podcast. We discuss a lot of sad and potentially triggering things on this show. We try to be as sensitive and cautious as possible, but if you are sensitive to things involving abuse and may be triggered, please think twice before listening to our show. There are over 700,000 sexual offenders in the United States alone. With all the social media these days, how can we protect ourselves and our children from these despicable predators? Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast, where we discuss criminal cases that involve some factor of abuse. Our goal is to spread awareness of abuse that could be taking place around any of us and encourage everyone to take responsibility and report if they see a child or an adult being abused. It was almost 1 a.m. on October 15, 2019 in Barron, Wisconsin, a small rural town of just over 3,300 people. The police received a 911 call from the cell phone of Denise Kloss, but all the dispatcher was able to hear was muffled sounds of screaming and shuffling. A call was put out and three squad cars responded and headed to the home of James and Denise Kloss. They made their way into the house and were shocked by what they found. A man was lying on the floor near the front door, covered in blood. He appeared to have been shot in the head. They made their way further into the house, and when they looked into the bathroom, they saw a woman sitting in the bathtub. She had also been shot in the head. These people were James and Denise Kloss. They had a daughter named Jamie, but she was nowhere to be found. Hello and welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. I'm Rosie. And I'm Ryan. Uh, the case we're talking about tonight, you've probably heard of. It's been pretty huge lately and covered by a lot of people. And we typically wouldn't cover such a popular case while it's hot in the media, especially before a trial ever happens. But um, we're really excited to know that Jamie's safe. And we have kind of a personal tie to this case because I actually grew up in Rice Lake, which... It's about 20 minutes from Barron, and my niece and nephew live in Barron. My niece actually had gone to school with Jamie, so I feel pretty impacted by this case. Mm-hmm. And before we begin, we do want to take a moment to thank our newest patron, Shelly. Thank you, Shelly. Yes, thank you for your generous support. Yeah. So, as we described in the intro, James and Denise Kloss were found shot to death in their own home and their daughter was missing. Police examined the scene, looking for any potential clues as to where Jamie had gone. James Kloss laid on the floor, feet near the front door, with significant trauma to his face and head from a gunshot wound. They found splattering on the wall directly behind the front door. They also found three spent shotgun shells next to his body, and near the hallway, by the bathroom, where his wife Denise's body was found. She was sitting upright in the tub, also shot in the head. There were boot prints and blood near the entryway that police identified was most likely from tactical-type boots. So whoever did this came extremely prepared, and this next part gets really graphic and disturbing, but we do feel it's an important detail to the case to understand just how gruesome and terrible the scene at the home was. Yes, the head trauma on Denise appeared to be from a gunshot wound to the head. The backside of her head and skull were completely removed and lying next to her body in the bathtub. Yeah, so if Jamie had witnessed this murder, it would have been so awful to see. This was her mother. Can you even imagine that? We know it's disturbing, but it is what happened, and I think it's just so sad to look at the scene and try to imagine what happened. Oh, totally. Detectives were able to deduce that Denise had attempted to barricade herself in the bathroom, and she was the one who had dialed 911. But before she could explain the situation, the intruder had kicked the door down and had gotten to her. Her cell phone laid on the floor of the bathroom near the door jamb. Yeah, so this scene is a real nightmare. There's so much to think about. I wonder what was going through detectives' minds as they slowly uncovered this scene. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they could even do this, you know? Mm -hmm. 
I have a lot of respect for people that are willing to walk up on these terrible scenes and take care of the things that no one really wants to do. So at this point, we know that James and Denise Kloss have been brutally shot to death, but they have a single daughter, Jamie, and police have no idea where she is. Yes, so now we're going to talk about an investigation into a missing persons case and who murdered these people. So do we want to get into that, Rosie? Sure. Some people questioned whether Jamie may have had something to do with the death of her parents. As sad as this is to wonder, I mean, we talked about Jasmine Richardson on the show before, so we know there's a bit of a basis for this suspicion. But police made it clear pretty quickly that Jamie was not considered a suspect at any time. Police and the FBI teamed up on this one. And the same day, they searched the premises of the home with drones and infrared cameras, but they found no sign of Jamie. Investigators visited Jamie's school in Barron and interviewed teachers and classmates to get as much information about Jamie as they could. Yeah, they were trying to figure out from her peers if she had any relationships that were secret from her parents or any online interactions with older men. They literally had no solid leads and were grasping at straws trying to find any kind of suspect, all the while believing that Jamie was in danger. At 3.29 p.m. October 15, 2018, a nationwide Amber Alert was issued for Jamie Kloss. It described her as 5 feet tall and 100 pounds, with blonde or strawberry blonde hair. I still remember this day. I do too. Yeah, getting the Amber Alert on my scanner at work. I actually mm-hmm. took a picture of it, and it scared the crap out of me because it was in Barron, Wisconsin. And like I mentioned, I have family that lives there, and um, it hit me hard, especially because I have a niece living there that's only a year older than Jamie. I actually talked to my nephew that night, and he said the entire police force and fire department of Barron was at the Claus house that night searching in the woods. Wow. So they were throwing everything they possibly could at this. Hmm. I was at work, and I remember thinking, I'm scared to bring my nanny kids outside. <laughs> yeah. Just because anything can happen. It's so terrifying. Yeah, but and as I'll talk about later, that's the thing this case because it's so close to home, really makes you think, wow, this could happen to Mm -hmm. us. At 11 p.m. that night, Miami police posted on Twitter about a tip they'd received earlier that day. Someone called in believing that they saw Jamie Kloss at a gas station in Miami in the back of a black Ford Explorer. Two well-dressed men with beards sat in the vehicle, appearing to be about in their mid-30s. So this sounds pretty promising, right? The Miami police even posted about it on their Twitter. But ultimately, the Barron County police were able to dismiss it as pretty much a dead lead. Hmm. The next day, October 16th, during a press conference, the Barron County Sheriff, Chris Fitzgerald, said that they'd been receiving many tips and following up on them, but still had no suspects. The FBI was monitoring Jamie's social media accounts, searching for leads, and investigators revisited the crime scene to make sure they hadn't missed any details. Fitzgerald did address the tip from Miami, saying he wasn't immediately discounting it, but any relevant and solid details about the case would come directly through him. He also said there was no clear-cut information definitively proving that this was an abduction, but they did believe Jamie had to be in danger. They also hadn't found anything leading them to believe it was sex trafficking. Yeah, so I really respect the patience that they showed in this case. And even though they were patient, they were still diligent um, in searching for what happened. They looked into any lead they got, but they didn't waste time chasing leads that didn't have any credible evidence. Mm -hmm. We've seen cases where police just want to rush to close a case and end up going down the wrong path and even arresting and charging someone that had nothing to do with the crime. And even more sad is that sometimes we've seen them realize they're wrong, but double down on their mistake and refuse to admit it to the public. If you want to know what I mean and why that's kind of on my mind, go listen to Generation Y podcasts, um, their recent two-part coverage of the death of Jerry Tobias. 
and you'll know what I'm talking about. Anyways, we can see the importance of basing an investigation off of evidence rather than just wanting to close a case. So um, police did a really good job in this case, I think. Mm -hmm. By 3 p.m. on October 16th, the department had already received over 200 tips about Jamie, but none of them really led anywhere. 200 tips seems like a lot. Is that a lot or is that normal? I would say for a nationwide Amber Alert, that's pretty normal. I suppose. On October 17th, while authorities were searching for Jamie, they actually uncovered some unrelated criminal activity and an, and an arrest was made. Huh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I tried so hard to find details on what this arrest was about, but I don't think it's really public. It's funny, though, because after he'd mentioned that, hundreds of people were commenting on the department's Facebook page demanding a clear explanation of this. Mm. And I completely understand that desire to want details, as I'm sure most of the, our listeners do, but... We just want to do our best to try to address others with respect, no matter who they are. And when we think about how hard these investigators were working and someone sitting at their laptop keyboard demanding more info, it's just kind of funny. On October 18th, they finally began asking the public for help in searching. They had 100 volunteers to help search, but they found nothing. At 10 p.m. that evening, Jamie Kloss was added to FBI's top missing persons list wow yeah so they really are moving yeah they're they're doing what they can which is refreshing to see yeah and it's nice to see two agencies working together the fbi and the local police because Mm -hmm. sometimes there's like pride issues and jurisdiction wars but Mm -hmm. yeah they seem to work well together four days later on october 22nd They announced that the next day they'd be holding another, larger search with around 2,000 volunteers. The next day, all 2,000 of the possible volunteers showed up, and they searched from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. But again, they found nothing related to Jamie. Also, by this time, they had received more than 1,400 tips about the case. Yeah, so... It's, I mean, a lot of people are really trying to find Jamie at this point. But after two huge searches and all these tips, it must have been so discouraging to be finding literally nothing of value to the case. Mm -hmm. Especially when you're dealing with all the pressure from the community and the nosy, entitled media, you know. Mm -hmm. I listened to a press conference with Officer Fitzgerald. He's the sheriff in Barron County. And just the way that journalists all would shout towards him and ask questions just makes me cringe. You know, they don't have much respect for the other people there or for the sheriff. And this case is about a real person and a real family going through a terrible, traumatic time. And these people are just hungry for a scoop that will bring them viewers for the day. I'm sure they do care, but it doesn't seem like they care about respect or compassion. And I understand that that's their job, and it's important to get the info out there, but there's so much competition wrapped into it. It's just sad in and of itself. On October 26th, officials announced that Jenny O. Turkey Store, where James and Denise Kloss worked, was offering a 50000 reward for information leading to finding Jamie. That's nice. Yeah, it's a really generous employer. James and Denise must have been good workers. Yeah. Hm. I don't like Jenny O's turkey farms, though. Yeah. They make me sad. <sighs> Anyways, moving on. <laughs> on October 27th, the funeral for James and Denise was held at a church in Cameron, Wisconsin not far from Barron. It was packed with family, friends, and people from the community, but thankfully off-limits to the media. Two days later, on October 29th, something interesting happened that seemed like it might have been a break in the case. At 2.30 a.m., a man named Kyle... What is that? I believe... Janky? Janky Annis. (laughs) What a sad last name. (laughs) Janky anus. That's what it looks like. (laughs) It does. (laughs) Okay. Well, Kyle Janky Anus from Cameron broke into the class home. He actually also worked at Jenny O Turkey Store in Barron. 
Kyle was caught in the act because police had motion-activated cameras set up around the house. He stole two girls' tank tops, underwear, and a dress, then stuffed them into his coat pocket. As he exited the house, police were outside waiting for him and detained him. Police asked him why he took the clothes, and he said, People wouldn't miss those items, and I was curious what size Jamie wears. What? Yeah, what the crap, dude. Does he realize this makes him look awfully suspicious? Oh, jinkiness. <laughs> Police did determine that he had nothing to do with her disappearance, but either way, this is just so creepy and stupid. It's really stupid. Oh, he, he felt this urge to steal a 13-year-old girl's underwear, and he's just showing that he has pedophilic tendencies if he's <gasps> turned on by stealing a missing 13-year-old's How old is this clothes. kid? Uh, don't I know. don't know. I think he's an adult. Well, he's working at Genio, so he's yeah. not a kid. But enough about this moron. The police cleared him for the kidnapping, so we'll move on. Hmm. By November, the search was starting to grow cold. The number of tips was steadily decreasing, and they switched their method from 24-7 reactive operation to a more deliberate and methodical effort. Basically, they were only going to respond to really serious leads from this point on. Yeah, so around this time, people were starting to grow more and more hopeless. I know personally, I honestly thought deep down that Jamie was probably dead. Mm -hmm. I remember one night saying to you, Rosie, that, you know, it's not looking good. I was feeling most likely she was gone. And I know that's a terrible thing to say, but I was back and forth. Other times I felt hopeful, like after researching our Elizabeth Smart coverage, I was feeling hopeful again. And I think even I even mentioned Jamie at the beginning of that episode mm. about not giving up hope on her. But the statistics aren't good for Jamie's case. Yeah, after the first 48 hours. Mm-hmm. It's such a tough time not knowing, you know, no girl alive and no body Just the unknown is a really difficult thing. On December 12th, 2018, hundreds of people gathered in Barron to hold a Tree of Hope lighting ceremony in honor of Jamie. Yeah, so just imagine what her family was going through at this time. You know, Mm -hmm. her surviving aunt who lost her sister. Hmm. Do you know much about the ceremony, the Tree of Hope? I'm wondering if there was a tree involved. I don't really know. It would be cold. December 12th, it was pretty chilly around there. Yeah. Not as chilly as it is now, though. Yeah, true. It's it's getting low. Things dwindled and began to look like we'd never get answers. But almost exactly a month later, there were some new developments. California has the largest population in the United States and the site of some of the most famous true crime cases in history. But there's more than meets the eye to the crime in California. Join Sean, Jessica, and Charles on the California True Crime Podcast as they cover crime both infamous and overlooked from around our state while looking at the deeper history that goes beyond beaches and movie stars. So, do you want to go into the interesting story that happened just 10 days ago from the recording of this? Yeah. It was a chilly day on January 11th, 2019 in Gordon, Wisconsin. Jeannie and Forrest Nutter had just made a three-hour drive to their cabin in the area. They were a nice couple in their mid-60s and also had their dog Henry with them, who was very eager to go for a walk after sitting in the car for three hours. Jeannie skipped her normal routine of settling in and building a fire because Henry, the dog, just couldn't sit still. So they left, and Henry led her down the icy roads of Gordon, Wisconsin. I've never heard of Gordon, Wisconsin. That must be way out in the sticks, huh? Yeah, it's a a pretty small town, Mm -hmm. I believe. I mean, people have their cabins there for camping, so... As they were walking along, they encountered something strange. 
a disheveled-looking girl came walking out of the woods on their neighbor's property. She was wearing a baggy sweatshirt and oversized men's shoes on the wrong feet. She came stumbling across the ice towards Jeannie and said, I need help. I'm Jamie. Yeah, Jeannie actually recognized Jamie immediately because her pictures were literally everywhere. Law enforcement really did do a great job of never giving up on her and getting her story out as far and wide as they could. And looking at the state Jamie was in as she emerged, she was really desperate and determined to get away from this place. And she had these giant shoes on the wrong feet still. It really shows that she didn't want to slow down or look back or even waste five seconds just to put the shoes on the right feet more comfortably. The details of what happened while she was missing aren't public, most likely because she's only 13, and the police are allowing her to talk in her own time and not prodding the information out of her. But if they have gotten any information about sexual abuse from Jake's confessions, they're most likely protected because she's a minor. But she really didn't want to slow down and risk getting caught again. Mm-hmm. So once Jamie was found by Jeannie Nutter, she helped her get to the nearby... Uh, oh, sorry, Kaczynska's. Kaczynska's? Okay. Yeah. Man, everybody has really weird last names in this one. Okay. Nutter, so, Kaczynska's. What was the other one? Janky anus? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I just got home from work. <laughs> yeah. Rosie's a little tuckered out right now. Jeannie brought her to the nearby Kaczynska's house and pounded on the door, shouting, This is Jamie Kloss. Call 911. Peter Kaczynska's was cleaning fish in his kitchen when his two dogs started going crazy after the pounding on the door. He had been home with his wife, Kristen, and his two kids. Kristen dropped everything and called 911 immediately. Yeah, so the 911 call is a half hour long. Wow. Um, but I listened to the whole thing a couple of times. It was pretty much my whole morning today. And I edited it down to just the important parts because there's a lot of weird noises and random talking and just waiting for the police to show up. But here we go. We're going to play it for you. Douglas County 911. Hi. I have um, a young lady at my house right now, and she just says her name is Jamie Kloss. Yeah, a neighbor just walked up with her to our house and asked us to call 911. Kristen, is the neighbor that walked her up, is she still there? Yes, she is. Okay. One second. She wants to know where she came from, how you got her, etc. Okay. I was walking my dog, and we were almost home, and she was walking towards me crying, saying, you got to help me, you got to help me. Okay. So I didn't want to go into my cabin because it's too close to... And she said her her name is Jamie Kloss? Yep. She said, he killed my parents. I want to go home. Help me. And what was the male's name? Jake Patterson. And she said Jake, he killed her parents and she wants to go home? Yes. She didn't know where she was. When I saw her, she was saying, where am I? Where am I? And I okay. said, you're in Wisconsin. Did she say where Jake is? You don't know where Jake is, right? She has no idea where he is. She told me that when he leaves her, she doesn't know that he's gone. He turns the music up real loud. He has hidden her under a bed. He's the only one that lives there. Okay. Do you know what road it's on? It's on Oak Acres Road. It's right. It's on the same road I live on. So he lives two doors down from me. Do you know Jake? No. No, he's never really been. I mean, we only come up here. It's a cabin. We only come up here periodically, but he's never been friendly or talked to me. And, and we've been here four years. Okay, have you seen him, though? No. Okay. I don't even know what he looks like. All the people that hang out at his house apparently do not know who she is. Okay. And I went for a walk at the right time. So, yeah, just try to imagine the overwhelming shock that Jamie was experiencing in this moment. She had been gone for 88 days, suffering trauma that we can only imagine. And now it was suddenly all over. They described her as in a state of shock. But she must have had a new sense of paranoia that she had never had before after all this. 
being that it all started when she was safe in her home, in bed, Mm -hmm. you know, just like Elizabeth Smart, except this maniac murdered her parents right in front of her. So Jamie was able to provide the name of her abductor right away, Jake Patterson. She had also said that he drove a red car, but she was unsure of the model. She left with the deputy while the other investigators went to the nearby Patterson home to search it. While driving away, Deputy Ditbrender. Another interesting name. Ditbrender, yeah. Deputy Ditbrender, who was with Jamie, spotted a red car. Although Jamie was unable to say for sure that it was Jake's car, they ran the plates and saw that it was registered to Katie Patterson. And this was actually Jake Patterson's sister. (laughs) This guy was only 21 years old. So I guess I'll give him a pass, but he's still not even driving a car that was registered to himself. Just another funny detail. What are you giving him a pass for? For not having his car registered to himself. Hmm. Fair. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. They began following his car, and as he passed the address where the car was registered, they pulled him over. As Officer Engelman walked up to the car... Jake got out of the car and said, I did it. He was arrested within the hour of police responding to the 911 call. Wow, that was an easy fight. Yeah, so all of this happened within, you know, an hour. Hmm. She, the woman walking the dog, Jeannie, saw Jamie, and Mm -hmm. right away they banged on the door, and they called the police. Took a half hour for the police to get there, which I thought was kind of weird. To have a half-hour response time. Well, when I was listening to the radio, they said that, you know, it's barren. They probably don't have a ton of police officers. Well, it wasn't barren. It was Gordon. Well, even worse. Yeah. So there's, like, if there's something wrong, then they had to... I mean, barren's not as much of a, you know, in the sticks as Gordon is. Yeah. Like you were saying, Gordon's way out there. Mm-hmm. So, anyway... Even though it took a half hour for police to get there, it was still a pretty quick process because they were able to find Jake really fast, and he just mm-hmm. gave up. Right away. Yeah, just got out and said, I did it. So this Jake Patterson character has a bit of an interesting record. He had served in the military for five weeks of his 13-week Marine boot camp in 2015, He had been prematurely discharged because, quote, the character of his service was incongruent with the Marine Corps expectations and standards. Well, that says something about him and his character. Not that it alone makes him a terrible person, but he probably has issues with authority or hard work or something if he got prematurely discharged from the Marines. Mm -hmm. He even lied on a job application when he applied to saratoga liquor in superior wisconsin which he'd submitted the day before the arrest he said he served in the marines for nine months in 2017 so he's only off by eight months (laughs) also he never even finished boot camp so he changed the year oh yeah (laughs) it's true what a great dude taking advantage of that title without even earning it yeah So, he was arrested on charges of homicide and kidnapping, but three days later, on January 14th, 2019, he was formally charged with two counts of intentional homicide, one count of armed burglary, and one count of kidnapping. Bail was set at a squeaky $5 million in cash. Yeah, that's a lot of money, but they want to make sure he wasn't getting out. Mm Mm-hmm. Which... (laughs) You're not getting out. No. (laughs) I don't Uh, think anyone would pay that much money for him. No. So police interviewed Jake and got a clearer picture of what actually happened on October 15th, the day of the murders. Yeah. So now we're going to talk about what really happened that night. The night of Jamie's abduction, she and her family were asleep for the night when the sound of her dog barking woke her up. She noticed a light outside. And this was odd because their house was in a fairly remote part of town. Right. Jamie looked out the window to see that a car had pulled into her driveway. 
And she got worried because they weren't expecting company. It was after midnight, Mm -hmm. and her parents were also asleep. After seeing the car outside, Jamie went into her parents' bedroom and woke them up. Her father, James, got up to check things out and went to the front door with a flashlight. He shined it out the window and looked outside and saw a masked man dressed in black standing in front of the door. Pretty much the scariest thing you can think of after midnight. Uh, Right? Yeah, especially when you're out in the sticks. Mm -hmm. He was wearing gloves and holding a gun. James asked the man to show him a badge, assuming that a man with a shotgun in the middle of the night would be law enforcement. I would be like, go. (laughs) I wouldn't be asking for a badge. I'd just be like flipping. I don't know what I'd do. I'd I'd probably freeze and have a heart attack or something. Oh, great. That's what I... Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Better come up with a plan B, I guess. (laughs) Jamie and her mother, Denise, were understandably worried, and they hid in the bathroom, locking the door behind them. Moments later, they heard a gunshot. Jake had just aimed the gun at James's head through the window and shot him. Then he (sighs) shot the doorknob and let himself into the house. This is so terrifying that a shot to the doorknob gets you in a house. Yeah. That really freaks me out. Well, not only that, but that a shot through a window killed Mm -hmm. the guy, you know? That's always been one of my biggest fears and why I always close the blinds at night is someone sniping me from outside and then just driving off. Why would someone snipe you? Why would someone take Jamie? True. It, why yeah. would someone come and kill this guy in his house in the middle of the night? If you we know? think wise about everything, then you're in a bad place. Like, you can destroy your life. <laughs> yeah, it, it's scary. <sighs> well, during this, Denise called 911, but she never got a chance to speak to the dispatcher. Jake rammed his shoulder into the bathroom door just about a dozen times before it finally collapsed. So just try to imagine the terror Jamie and Denise would have been feeling in these moments. When he got into the bathroom, the curtain was shut. He ripped it down and threw it on the floor. Such a sad image, but when he ripped the curtain off, he found Jamie and her mom sitting in the bathtub, terrified, and Denise was holding Jamie with her arms around her as tight as she could, just trying to protect her. Holding Denise at gunpoint, He forced her to tape Jamie's mouth shut. And Denise was in a state of panic at this point, so Mm -hmm. she was shaky and struggling to get the tape on her daughter's mouth. Jake got impatient waiting for Denise to do it, so he grabbed the tape and wrapped it around Jamie's head, wrists, and ankles. After incapacitating Jamie, he aimed the shotgun at Denise's head and pulled the trigger. She died on the spot. (sighs) Remember the description of how they found Denise that we shared earlier. It was pretty gruesome, but that's why we shared it. Is so we can just try to imagine what this poor girl had to go through. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's great news that she was found, and a lot of people want to be happy and move on. But this girl went through a massive trauma just before being taken by a strange man and being held for 88 days and abused. Mm. Yeah, We want people to remember that Jamie will need as much love and support as she can get for the rest of her life because as happy as people are right now to have her back safely, she's still lost so much and experienced so much mm-hmm. that a 13-year-old shouldn't have to. And she had to watch her mother get murdered right in front of her. Yeah, I mean, her life is completely forever changed, no matter the amount of therapy And the support she gets, she's still going to have to work through this for the rest of her life. Yeah. After he shot Denise, Jake dragged Jamie out of the house and threw her into the trunk and locked it shut. In total, Jake says he was only at the class home for about four minutes. Wow. Yeah. So think about that. Fast paced. My gosh. Yeah. It really shows us how quickly things can change. In just four minutes, That's scary. Jamie's entire life changed. It was essentially ruined in four minutes. Four minutes? That is really scary. Yeah. Jake Patterson left the class home, and after driving for only 20 seconds, 
He passed three police cars with their lights and sirens blaring on their way to respond to a 911 call. Yeah, they were so close to Jamie. Jamie actually remembered hearing the police sirens and probably had a little glimmer of hope to be rescued, but sadly they just went right by. Ugh, the pit in her stomach. I can only imagine how that must have felt. Yeah, yuck. Uh, And this was just at the beginning of this long drive she was about to go on. Because this place up in Gordon, Wisconsin, I mean, that's pretty close to Superior, which is a pretty long ways away from from here. It's like three hours, probably. Rice Lake is probably about an hour and a half to two hours, but it's a long drive to be stuck in a trunk. So how did Jake come in contact with Jamie Kloss? The reality is really simple and really terrifying. It turns out that Jake was on his way to work one day when he saw Jamie getting on her school bus. He told police that once he saw her, he knew she was the girl he was going to take. So that was it. Uh, he had already made up in his mind that he was going to kidnap somebody. And how freaking scary is that? She became a target completely unknowingly. She was just getting on her school bus going about her normal activities. Neither her or her parents had done anything to this man or had any contact with him. It's just a scary thought that we can't even feel safe going outside to get on the school bus Mm -hmm. without fearing that we're being objectified and targeted by some scumbag creep. Ugh, yeah, it's scary. So after he spotted Jamie, he began stalking her. He had actually visited the Kloss home twice before the kidnapping. He wanted to strike then, but there was too much going on in the house, so he turned away and planned to come back later. And before he did, he actually modified his car to avoid being seen. He took out the dome light from his car so it wouldn't go on when he opened the door. He really wanted to get away with this. He even removed the light from the trunk of the car so he wouldn't be seen stuffing Jamie inside. And of course, he removed the emergency pull cord from the trunk door so she would have no way to escape. Hmm. Let's talk about what happened in captivity. Yeah, so the details are pretty limited about what happened to her in captivity, but there were some small details. To Jamie, it felt like she was locked in Patterson's trunk for about two hours before they stopped, and he took her out and into a house. She didn't know it at the time, but she was 70 miles from home in Gordon, Wisconsin. He'd taken her to a cabin that belonged to his family. This place was way out in the sticks. Once they were inside, he made her take off her clothes, and he put them in a bag, commenting about wanting to hide the evidence. He threw her underneath a bed and stacked totes and laundry bins around the bed with workout weights, weighing them down to prevent her from getting out. That must have been a lot of workout weights he had lying around, or I collected. Yeah, apparently. Those things are expensive. If he had people over, he made it clear to her beforehand that if she alerted anybody that she was there, bad things would happen to her. When he would have people over, he'd blast a radio near her to drown out any noise that she might make. Yeah. So in case you haven't heard our Elizabeth Smart coverage, I just want to address this. People can be quick to criticize people that have been in captivity about times they've, they could have called out to someone but didn't. But they don't think about the massive amount of fear and paranoia that is thrust upon you after you've been forcefully removed from your own home. Imagine being a 13-year-old kid again, believing you're in the safety and security of your own home, then you're suddenly taken after watching your mom's head get blown apart. Mm. It's graphic and terrifying, but it happened to this poor girl all at the hand of this monster. Now, when he tells her bad things will happen if she calls out for help, she can't help but believe him, you know? Mm -hmm. One time, Jamie had accidentally moved one of the totes when she was following his orders to hide under the bed, and he threatened her just after a tiny accident. She didn't even do it intentionally. He would keep her under the bed for 12 hours at a time with no food, water, or bathroom breaks. And that is a long freaking time to be stuck under the bed. I'd be so thirsty and have to pee so bad. 
Can't imagine being forced to do this. This is such a strange setup. I'm just imagining, I'm trying to picture it. She's under the bed and there's like a, like a tote. Tons of totes, I guess. Around the The perimeter side. of the bed. Yeah. And they have workout weights in them. For him thinking so thoroughly about the car situation and taking out the dome light and the the cord in the trunk, I feel like this is not a very effective way to keep somebody in captivity. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, especially since she was able to escape it eventually. Yeah, this is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. At one point, Jake suddenly snapped at her and struck her as hard as he could on the back with the handle of a duster. We're thinking it's most likely a Swiffer duster or something like that, right? Yeah. I wonder if he'll get charged for assault for this incident. On two occasions, Jake had suspected Jamie of trying to get out, and he flew into a rage, screaming at her and punching the walls. It scared the crap out of Jamie, and she tried really hard to keep him happy. And her trying to keep him happy does not mean she had Stockholm Syndrome. She was just terrified of what he would do if he got really mad. She did watch him murder her parents right in front of her, so she Mm -hmm. knew that he was capable of murder. Maybe that was his tactic of the crappy captivity job? Just the more of a mental hold than a physical hold? That makes sense. One day, he told her that he was leaving and would be gone for around six hours, threatening her to make sure she wouldn't try anything. But Jamie got a burst of courage and tapped into her strong desire for survival. When she was sure he was gone, she found a way to push the bins and weights away from the bed and crawl out. She quickly threw on a pair of his shoes and walked out of the house. Not too long after this, she ran into the Patterson's neighbor, like we already described. I just think it's so great and fortunate that the Nutter couple had literally just driven up to their cabin in Gordon that morning. And what are the odds that Jamie would get a chance to escape the same day that Jake Patterson's neighbors came into town? Mm-hmm. And that Jeannie would go out and walk her dog just at the right time? It's such a relief. Yeah, and I also think it's weird that Jake told her, like, I'm going to be gone for six hours. That is odd, especially... This guy c- seems a little off. Cases we've seen where the abductor will say that mm-hmm. as a test and then come back like in... Early, yeah. Yeah. Even just come back in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Just be like, that was a test. Huh. So what can we learn about this story? Well, it's heartbreaking and sad, but it's still being told. We may never know everything that happened to Jamie in that cabin. Or at least not until she's 18. But there's still so much that we can learn from it. Yeah. Um, Like I already mentioned, this case hit me really hard because, as I said, my niece and nephew live in Barron. And to think about the fact that this monster was driving around their town looking for a young girl to abduct, it terrifies me. I mean, this could have been my niece, which really makes you realize it could be anyone. You never know where where it's coming, you know? I don't know how this family could have avoided this tragedy. This monster was just so set on getting Jamie. And so I guess what I took out of this is to really be grateful for the time we have with our loved ones. And also, I want to get a new, more powerful lock for the door and maybe a thicker door and a security a system. Door. Mm-hmm. I'm just grateful we live very close to a lot of our other neighbors' houses, you know? I guess there is something good about living close to neighbors. There's just no way to be sure. Especially because we live by a prison. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now we're going to talk about the prosecution. This guy, like we already mentioned, went to some extreme measures to keep from getting caught. Rosie, do you just want to reiterate some of those? Sure. Jake Patterson had shaved his head and his face to avoid dropping any DNA through hair. He wiped down his father's shotgun and all six of the 12-gauge shells that he used. Then he wore gloves to make sure he, would leave, he wouldn't leave any more prints. He replaced his own license plates with ones that he had stolen, and he removed the glow-in-the-dark cord from inside his trunk. 
Yeah, and like we described, that cord is the mechanism you can pull in case you get stuck in your trunk so you're able to get out. Mm-hmm. When he got to the class home, he wore a balaclava. Is it a balaclava? Yeah, balaclava. <laughs> or a ski mask, that's what I'm going to call it. Remember in that Vampire Weekend song, Horror Chata? Mm-hmm. And you said, I look psychotic in a balaclava? Hmm. No. Anyways, that's what he wore to hide his identity. <laughs> so yeah, this was pretty dang premeditated and meticulously planned to avoid detection. The morning he saw Jamie getting on her bus, he was on his way back to work at the Saputo Cheese Factory. He only worked there for two days. <laughs> <laughs> Great work record, may I say. Yeah, I guess he had to quit so he had time to plan such an elaborate kidnapping. What a loser. Just after he saw her, he visited the Rice Lake Walmart and bought the black mask that he wore to abduct her. As we mentioned earlier, he'd made two trips to the class home to abduct her, but both times he was scared off by cars in the driveway. Other things he did to avoid detection while committing this crime was taking the dome light out of his car so it wouldn't turn on when he opened the doors. He did the same thing with the trunk lights, as we said earlier. Mm Mm-hmm. And he even chose the gun he would use to avoid being detected. He used his father's Mossberg pump shotgun because it was a very common gun, making it much harder to trace. As he approached the house, he turned off his headlights and parked at the end of the driveway. So he really did do all he could to plan this out and avoid getting caught. And if not for Jamie's strength and courage and will to survive, he may have never been caught. It's so scary. Mm. So we want to reiterate, this girl had been through a lot of trauma. Even though she's been found and a lot of people are happy, she's been through things that the majority of us can't even imagine. We just need to keep showing her love and respect her privacy and and the decisions of her family. Yeah, exactly. I think it's interesting seeing people comment about how Jamie's family is exploiting her and using her to make money. But who are any of us to judge what this family has gone through and is going through and what they're doing? The whole family has been through a terrible trauma. She's now living with her aunt, Jennifer Smith, and they're doing their best to show her love and to help her heal. Yeah, we need to remember, Jamie lost her parents in a brutal way. And Jennifer lost her sister Denise and her brother-in-law in the same brutal way. It's a tragedy for all of them. And we just really want to stress the fact that we need to show respect to the family right now because they have the right to heal from this in their own time and on their own. Just because this case received national coverage doesn't mean their lives are our business. I will say, though, this really shows the importance of the true crime community I mean, I was constantly seeing pictures of Jamie buzzing around Instagram and Facebook, spreading the awareness and the message. And the more people that see a missing person's face, the better chance they'll be found. So, mm-hmm. yeah, in that regard, it is a happy ending because pretty much anyone who would have stumbled across Jamie would have known who she was. Yeah, that's true. So keep up the great work, everyone in this community. Hmm. Oh. It is nice that she was found for a change. It was a happier ending than we've talked about in the past. Yeah. (laughs) I thought it was interesting that um, Michelle Knight, one of Ariel Castro's victims, um, who's now going by Lily, Hmm. but she appeared on CNN. Just to give people an idea of what you go through after being found and... Just make people aware of the struggles. And there were comments on there basically belittling Michelle Mm -hmm. for being like, if I'm a victim of burglary, does that make me an expert on all victims of burglary? And like comparing burglary to kidnapping and torture. And it's just... People are so ridiculous. Oh, yes, they are. Because Michelle Knight's an incredible survivor, and she lost so much, and her entire life has been 
terrible. And mm-hmm. um, we're going to talk about her in the future, in a future episode, because her book was really impactful to me. But it's nice to see a happy ending, in this case, at least being found. And Yeah, so that's it for Jamie Kloss so far. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure more details will emerge in the future, but she's only 13 right now, so can't expect too much. Right. So, how are you doing, Rosie? I'm tired. <laughs> I'm yeah. really tired. Late night. You didn't have to go to work today because it's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I did. And I'm tired. And it's taco night. So. Thank you, Rosie, for being willing to record tonight. <laughs> yes. I'm sure a lot of people appreciate it as much as I do. So. But I'm excited because we're going on our trip on Saturday. So. Yeah. So because Rosie is so tired, we're going to wrap it up. And sorry if you wanted cat news. But there's none except for Zook pretending he has a bad paw to get detention. Well, we we don't know if he's pretending or not, but sometimes he limps and other times he's fine, so it's kind of confusing. Yeah. But we should probably, I don't know. He he hasn't limped at all today, so mm-hmm. I think he's okay. He might just have a sliver because he always scratches our new chest that we got, and it's. That's from 1918? Yeah, it's a very rustic chest, and we think he got a sliver from that because he's using it as a scratching post for some reason. Well, we're trying to make him not use it. (laughs) Yeah, but anyway, thanks again, Rosie, for Mm -hmm. recording this tonight. And, I mean, you did probably hear a lot of weird cat noises while we were talking in this episode because they were kind of psychotic in the background. But... Uh, We apologize for that. Hopefully our listeners will understand. (laughs) We know you guys are very nice people, and we appreciate it. So, Mm -hmm. Um, All right. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, You can follow us on Instagram at VOV Podcast, on Twitter at VOV Pod, and you can email us at VOVPodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, become a patron, and you can hear our two episodes. Yeah, we have two premium exclusive episodes at and, our $2 level. Mm-hmm. One on Jared Fogel, the subway guy, and the other on... Henry Lee Lucas. Henry Lee Lucas. Um, We just ran out of mugs, so if you want one, DM us on Instagram so we can get your order in when we make our order. Yeah, or be a $20 patron, because mm-hmm. then you can get a mug. Yeah, we and... Yeah, we're going to order more mugs because they're all gone now. So, um, all right. Well, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. All right. See you later, guys. Bye.